when I was a kid, I could see things. Things humans aren't supposed to see. You save me before you can do it again, right? I've been watching you for a long time. It's only in the face of horror that you truly find your noblest self. Look, you want to torture me, spank me, lick me, do it. But if this poetry shit continues, just shoot me now, please. Welcome to Now Playing's DC Heroes Retrospective Series. This might take me a really long time. Continuing our look at movies based on DC Comics characters, Arnie, Stuart, and Jacob will be reviewing the film adaptations of Tank Girl. My God, she'll be fun to break. Constantine. I know the circles you travel in. They call demonology exorcisms. And Jonah Hex. Mark my words, gentlemen. The very fate of our nation may rest on the shoulders of Jonah Hex. These podcasts will contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised. I need to see what she saw. You do this, there's no turning back. You see them, they see you. Close your eyes. Why? Today, we're discussing... Tank Girl, starring Lori Petty, Ice-T, Nomi Watts, Malcolm McDowell, and directed by Rachel Talalay. The lady that did Freddy 6. I'm Arnie. You can call me Podcast Boy. Stuart in LA. And this is Jacob. And I like hot oil and vacuum attachments. I could use an oil change. But what I could also use is an explanation. I am as confused at this moment as Stuart was in Howard the Duck. Why are we talking about Tank Girl? <laughs> well, you can start the blame with Carrie. At this point, I had scheduled in our calendar that we would be talking about Stephen King and building up to the release of the new Carrie 2013, which has promptly vacated our March window and reassigned itself to Halloween of this year. So we will get to Carrie, but it isn't going to happen in the immediate future. We needed to plug three weeks here, and we're going to Superman soon. We're going to the biggest DC hero they got. It only makes sense that we should profile some of the maybe lesser-known DC heroes. And I would say none is probably more less known than Tank Girl here, who isn't even really a DC property when this movie came out, Vertigo, which is an imprint of DC, they do a much more mature line. They did some Tank Girl comics, and Tank Girl's really bounced around from publisher to publisher to publisher. Started more or less as comics in a fanzine, a Britpop fanzine over in England. So very loose links to DC, but it's a movie that I actually own and have watched multiple times. So I'm glad that we finally get to talk about Tank Girl. So uh, we're linking it up with DC. Okay, so I'm here due to Jacob's maniacal <laughs> desire to discuss this movie. Hey, you got Howard the Duck, I got Tank Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've had these kinds of iffy connections before. I'm not sure that Doctor Strange was an Avenger. I'm not sure that Kick-Ass really was Marvel, but we make it work. <laughs> Well, I will say that on this entire DC Heroes retrospective we're doing of Tank Girl, Constantine, and Jonah Hex, 
despite normally being the multimedia comic book movie guy, here you've pretty much got me as the newbie. Two of them I've never seen, and one of them I don't remember. And Tank Girl, it's one of the ones I've never seen, and thank you, Jacob. You've allowed me to scratch this off my bucket list, because I have been meaning to see Tank Girl for almost 20 years now, and you finally forced me to <laughs> yeah i'm pretty new usually to most comic book movies that's not a surprise to people i'm not the comic book guy tank girl i don't even think i knew there was a comic book equivalent to it but it makes sense i remember this movie coming out and tanking and disappearing but i mostly knew it for the soundtrack i mean this really was coming at the tail end of the early 90s alternative renaissance and i was really into a lot of the musicians that are here on the soundtrack so in that way, I was aware of Tank Girl, but never as a character, never as a comic. Yeah, I didn't see this when it originally came out. I saw it a few years later when it was playing on cable television. And a couple years later after that, I got into the comic book, partly because of this movie. It piqued my interest in what was going on in those crazy comics. Is it still in publication? It is still in publication. This movie didn't kill this comic? It didn't. It was the movie that really put the one of the final nails. There were several going into the coffin, but United Artists really suffered trying to make this big bomb. That's what I know about this. It was a big bomb of the 90s and mocked. I had no real knowledge that it was based on any other property. It just looked like a crazy cult movie that went awry. Oh, no, I knew that this was based off a comic book at the time, but Tank Girl came at a really bad time for me. Could it come at a good time? When is the right time? Well, I'll tell you when the wrong time is. Exactly one month after Sylvester Stallone's Judge Dredd. Oh, yeah, I could see that. I mean, in the 90s, we got a lot of indie comics like Judge Dredd, which was a big UK comic, Barb Wire, The Mask, all trying to make it to the big screen with Tank Girl here. And I kind of got a similar vibe off the ads for Judge Dredd and Tank Girl. They were both neither of the big two's comics. They both seemed a little futuristic, post-apocalyptic. Cheap. Yeah, cheap. <laughs> Honestly, the only thing I really knew about the project was its connection to music. I know I went and looked to see what the artistic look of Tank Girl was as a comic book, and I'm like, I recognize this drawing. I recognize this style. And with a few wiki clicks, I realized that one of the creators of it went on to work with Damon Albarn on Gorillaz. Yes, the not-quite-a-band band. I mean, they're all cartoons. I don't think they've ever appeared in person. Yeah, it's a, basically a side project band. It's people that have a day job that all got together and partied and said, well, let's have our faces be cartoons. And so it's not really an official touring band, although they have done live shows. It doesn't have a steady set of members. It's kind of a fun little collective. I've always really enjoyed them. And once I saw that, I got a little bit more excited. My in for Tank Girl is the music. I am a child of the 90s and was really into the alternative early 90s scene. And the soundtrack that they have here, its affiliation with Gorillaz, I'm really mostly excited about this project because it taps into my nostalgia for some of those great alternative bands of the 90s. I'm not sure there's much of a plot, but Arnie, do you want to try to give it to him? The year is 2033. After a comet hit the Earth, it causes a global drought leading to a post-apocalyptic society divided into three groups. Those who rule the water have the power, and they are called Water and Power, run by Kessley, played by Malcolm McDowell. Welcome back again. 
Then on the fringes live a resistance movement stealing water to survive, and the third group are mutant monsters called the Rippers that kill indiscriminately and ruthlessly. Our lead character is known as Rebecca, a member of the resistance. When water and power raid her base, killing her boyfriend, all her friends, and a little girl named Sam, Rebecca is taken captive, and due to her killing eight water and power soldiers, Kesley tries to recruit her to work for water and power, killing the Rippers that prevent Kesley from taking control of all the water under the desert. Rebecca refuses, even under torture, and befriends Jets, a fellow prisoner who is also Water and Power's resident mechanic. Kesley takes Rebecca out to the site of a Ripper attack as bait for the Rippers, but the Rippers attack and kill the Water and Power people and dismember and disfigure Kesley, leaving Jets and Rebecca free. They encounter a crazy lady who tells them Sam is working at a brothel, so Jets and Rebecca take a Water and Power tank, give it a brain and go to rescue the girl, including a rousing musical number. But Water and Power attacks again, and Sam is again captured by the troops. But Jets and Rebecca again escape, only to be captured again, this time by the Rippers. But it turns out the Rippers are not mindless monsters, but intelligent human-kangaroo hybrids. I can't wait to talk about this. Mm. Rebecca romances Booga, who is actually a dog-kangaroo hybrid... And the Rippers team up with Tank Girl to attack Water and Power, rescue Sam, and finally take out Kesley, who survived the Ripper attack with many cybernetic enhancements. A big fight takes place, half of it's animated, Kesley's finally killed, and Tank Girl fires her tank, releasing all the water or something, I think, as credits roll. My plot summary kind of fell apart at the end. I kind of think the movie's plot fell apart at the end. Maybe Jacob can explain it to me when we get there. I'm surprised you got that far into it before it (laughs) fell apart. So much to discuss with this, but Stuart, you were mentioning the music, the gorillas. I wasn't quite sure what to expect going into Tank Girl, but those opening credits, the song, the animation, those rock and really put me in a good mood for a good time with this movie. I thought it was really setting a tone there. Yeah, you open up with a Devo song here. They use Girl You Want. I'm already halfway in. It's a very kinetic opening. It gets you excited. Like, you want to see what happens next. It's like a big old rock concert going on at the beginning here. Yes. Punk. Riot Girls. I'm definitely thinking about that moment in pop culture where underground music became mainstream. And this was riding that wave. In this moment, Tank Girl is probably the hippest thing on screen. And you know what? Looking back... Digging up the time capsule, I'm getting excited too. When I finally see our heroine straddling a yak and making her voiceover jokes, I can't deny that I'm smiling. Now, I did do some research and found on YouTube there were some deleted scenes. This wasn't supposed to be the opening, this yak opening. It was supposed to be Tank Girl as a little girl and showing the comet hitting the Earth because in this post-apocalyptic, no-water world, a comet caused all of it, and apparently it happened when Tank Girl was like 11 and living in a trailer park. I don't think I needed that. I prefer Lori Petty telling me how she enjoys bathing with multiple people because water is so scarce. I don't need to see that opening. I have seen the animatics that are available, and it's just not the right mood. You come in with this blaring song, you need to keep that pace going. I think taking a step back to see Little Tank Girl watching the world almost come to an end, it would throw the pacing off. Not only that, but it would pretend that this movie we were going to watch was about telling a story and about creating a world. By starting it with Petty, you're being honest. This movie lives or dies by how you feel about Becca. 
to become the title character Tank Girl. She is 110% of what this movie wants to give us. It is all petty all the time. And for the start of this, I'm right down with it. Lori Petty's kind of an odd duck. I knew her from a number of movies before this. The two that always come to mind when I think of her are Point Break and A League of Their Own. But I never really got her. Like, I never felt she fit in any of the movies she was in. I know A League of Their Own has its contingent of fans, but Lori Petty always felt like she was in a different movie to me. I almost feel like the fates aligned to give her a career so that she could headline this movie. It's like the movie she was born to play and the only role where I feel she is cast well. By the way, Sylvester Stallone agrees with you. Judge Dredd had her fired off Demolition Man. She was actually in the Sandra Bullock role, believe it or not, and he did not get her either, Arnie. He didn't jive with her sort of spunkiness. The word I always come to with Petty is just attitude and spunk and sass. And I guess maybe he just didn't want to do her. But for whatever reason, she was kicked off that project and this was her comeback. She was going to prove that she deserved to be in a sci-fi comedy, and so no Demolition Man, Tank Girl it is. I'm very familiar with Demolition Man. I can't imagine her being in that. Just not the right choice for the character. But yes, this film is all about her. You know, if any actress was meant to, like, shave half of her head and just screech in this mousy voice throughout the entire film, it is petty. This is made for her. I'll agree this much, if you go with an actress. I think almost you could have cast... One of the musical people that are featured in here. This wouldn't have been a bad role for Bjork or Courtney Love either if you wanted to keep that rock and roll vibe going here. But we've all seen Love and Bjork act. They can do it. They could have embodied this character as well. But as far as actresses, I'll give you. I can't think of Julia Roberts strapping (laughs) herself onto that yak and pulling this off. There's very few actresses who I think would. You mentioned Courtney Love. I'm glad they went with an actress versus a musician. I've seen Courtney Love. She was real good in Larry Flint, but I don't know that she could carry a whole movie. But she was a big part of this. You mentioned her, and you mentioned all this music. She was the one who picked all of this music, the Bjork song and all that go throughout. This was all her doing. So she is a big part of the production. Spiritually, yeah, she's right in sync with this movie. I feel Courtney Love's presence in the air during all of these opening scenes. She could have done it. And you know what? I would almost argue because she couldn't carry the movie, it would put it on the filmmakers to give other characters more to do. It might not have been a bad thing. Well, you probably feel her presence because her voice is in the background so much on the soundtrack. Do you own this soundtrack, Darnie? Because I want it. This is like my playlist from high school. I bought this CD back in the 90s. I still hadn't gotten around to seeing the movie, so I knew a lot of these songs going in from having listened to the CDs. I was the kind of guy who I'd see a soundtrack with bands I like on it and pick it up. I did that with this and don't regret it. That's probably why I was jamming so much to the opening song is because I went into this movie having no idea what to expect, forgetting that I listened to the soundtrack a lot in the 90s, and then had that warm familiarity that one has with the song they know well. But then you talk about the yak scene, and I like the jokes. I'm going with them. I like body women. I like dirty women. You talk this woman I'm talking about bathing with 20 people and having a fun time with it. I'm 
enjoy the music. I'm enjoying her vibe. Yeah, this is the right way to play the character. Stuart, you said Riot Girl. That's very much Tank Girl is in that punk rock Riot Girl spirit. I don't even know if Women's Lib is the right name for it. She's out there, breast wide open, willing to have sex with anything. They push it pretty much as far as they could at the time. It's the right direction to take this character. Yeah, it was a new brand of feminism. Obviously, it didn't start the women's movement, and no one is claiming that this is some feminist manifesto, but I would argue that she is a heroine unlike any that I can recall in how, yes, confident she is with her sexuality without being sexualized herself. Typically, when women do action, they wear the short shorts, they show off their body. I don't feel like there's ever any exploitation about Lori Petty. I don't know, is Lori Petty even attractive? I mean, she's fun, she's enjoyable, but she's just not really the kind of pinup that they normally put for this kind of character. It's really remarkable that they bypass that whole sex kitten angle they like to play, usually. And I think maybe that's attributable to the fact that it's a female director behind the camera as well, Rachel Tele. Lele has returned to now play. Yes, we know her from Freddy's Dead the Final Nightmare. And I've got to say, truthfully, I see a lot of Freddy's Dead in this. And I'm going to talk about it as we go through. I saw her feature in between Ghost in the Machine. I saw that way back when it was brand new on video. I didn't realize coming in that she did this till I saw the credits. But she had a long career at New Line Producing. She produced a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. So... It shouldn't shock me that much that she's here. Right. And Arnie, you're not crazy. Once I made that connection and realized I had seen her work in Freddy's Dead, I was thinking about Freddy's Dead a lot, too. That was the movie that really, really pushed the comedy boundaries of that franchise. And she's doing a similar thing here with science fiction. She only tangentially wants to tell us a science fiction story. I think she's much more comfortable kind of making body underground humor. You know, she worked with John Waters, too. And I just feel like a lot of this has a midnight movie campiness that just isn't the kind of thing you see in a mainstream movie for reasons <laughs> yeah because it's well yeah you're right Stuart. this feels different because this is how the character is in the comic there's not real storylines especially early on with the material i don't think they really used much material to base the plot of this on because there's probably not much of a plot but those original comics, especially, they were more just like skits and riffs off of pop culture. Like, we're going to have Tank Girl hang out with the Smiths, and then she's going to hang out with Joey <laughs> Ramone, and then she's going to hang out with Jack Kerouac. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It's all about just doing these weird, crazy, punk-inspired riffs. Was she really hanging out with those people, or was she hanging out with those people reincarnated as dog kangaroos? Really hanging out with them. The first time I picked up a Tank Girl comic, and she's skateboarding with Joey Ramone, but this is supposed to be the future so isn't he dead and then you just learn you go with it because they're gonna do whatever the hell they want Okay, so they had to create this world. When we're introduced in bits and pieces that this is 2013 and all the water has disappeared and it doesn't rain anymore and she lives in a colony where they have a hydroponic garden in secret, all of that is stuff made up specifically for this movie. It's not a part of the comic. The comic is post-apocalyptic Australia. I mean, it feels very much like Mad Max and this feel almost feels like a riff off of a lot of Mad Max with the crazy outfit. And the kangaroos. And the, yes, <laughs> I don't know where this is supposed to be. I figured maybe like San Francisco, it looks like a destroyed Golden Gate Bridge at the opening there. With the kangaroos later, I definitely thought it was down under. No, the yak is by the Golden Gate Bridge in a land inhabited by mutant kangaroos. A comet hit the earth. What do you expect? 
You know, they're probably somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. Like, if all the water dried up, they might have not needed continents anymore. Who knows what borders are? They're somewhere between San Francisco Bay and Sydney. That's a big range. (laughs) (laughs) About half the world. They could be anywhere in half the world. Well, they do at one point say there still are oceans, but there's salt water. So the oceans didn't dry up. Only drinking water did. So there is water. I think, yeah, they're in Northern California. And we'll just go with that. I'm not really getting the world here. I think Talalay did a really piss poor job of world building because I don't get what these people are doing out on the commune. I guess it doesn't matter, but I am trying to figure out what world Tank Girl is in and I'm not able to. Well, I'm trying to cling to this stuff. Like I said, I'm liking what Petty is doing. She's a big, bright star, and it's just her all the time. And even when the jokes aren't that funny, I'm kind of smiling because she's delivering them in a way that brings us in. But I'm also trying to understand who her peeps are. You know, she's got all these other rebels living here, and this boyfriend, and this whole life that gets wiped out, destroyed. The inciting incident of this whole movie is the fact that Water and Power finds out that they're illegally sustaining themselves independently of this fascist regime. So they come in and they basically kill all of her friends, and she doesn't even shed a tear about it. You know, it's a strange moment when I realize that once her utopian world gets wiped out, she's fine with it. She's ready to go on to the next skit. This is not going to be a traditional science fiction movie at all. It's not a hero's journey. No, I mean, she let all her friends get killed because she was getting ready to strip tease for her boyfriend on his birthday. Yeah, I was having a problem figuring out what this movie was at this point because I saw that, Jacob. I thought she caused all her friends to get slaughtered because she was supposed to be keeping guard against water and power, but instead she's not looking. She thinks it's her boyfriend who she gave some new shoes to. We see those shoes walking up. And because she's doing this scissor striptease, everybody, including her boyfriend and young children and all of these people who had like five lines of dialogue before they were mowed down are killed. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we are giving her a motivation here. We're giving her a reason for whatever is going to happen. But no, she is taken captive because she's able to kill several of those guards and She doesn't care. There's no looking back. This boyfriend that she went on this huge hunt for a gift for and was stripping for, he's dead. Not a tear is shed. He's never even mentioned again. I barely got his name. But yeah, it's a surprising moment when you realize how inconsequential the big moment is. It's just not going to play like a usual science fiction movie. Yeah, this film is all about the stand-up comedy routines, the skits. And this is a weird skit where a bunch of people get murdered. But, you know, we'll move on and throw in some more sex jokes in the next scene. The one thing that sticks out to me about Tank Girl is in the early comics, there's like this aboriginal prophecy that she was just born to break every rule that's ever existed. Like, that's Tank Girl's purpose, and that's how this film is. I mean, this is here to just break every rule of cinematic logic. We're not going to have character arcs. We're barely going to have a plot. We are going to throw stuff on the screen because we think it's funny, because it's juvenile. We're going to waste a bunch of money from a studio. I'm going to take a different tact on this one. I realize that what you guys say is what we get. I don't know that that was the intent. Having watched this film, I actually did go back and watch it twice. I watched it once to get the initial experience, watched it again because I had to do a plot summary, and I really wanted to be able to discuss this. I think 
there was an intent here to tell a Judge Dredd demolition man road warrior type story with a body comic edge. But I think this is a production out of control, and that's why it's as random as it is. I know one of the big problems is the creators of Tank Girl, they had a hand in this film. They were working on the script, but it, it was too British, they said. The producers just didn't get the jokes. They didn't think it was work. A lot of Benny Hill type humor going on. And so there was that clash. You're right, Arnie. They tried to make a film, and this was the result of that attempt. Yeah, it's highly unusual that you have the originators of the comic actually producing a screenplay. Normally, Hollywood buys a project and says, thank you very much, go away, we're going to make it what we want to. But in this case, the fact that they encouraged them to do it, it's coming from United Artists. It's coming from a smaller studio, one that would go bankrupt. And in fact, this movie may be admitted as evidence in that bankruptcy hearing. I can see that they lost a lot of money here, giving artistic license to the creators to make the film they thought they wanted. But you're right. There's a disconnect. They tried to fit in what they thought was a coherent story, and they talk about what a nightmare this whole film was, trying to work with the studios and trying to stay true to their character, and the studios didn't like a lot of their British humor. What else did they have? I mean, they didn't like the humor. If it were not for the humor, there'd be nothing here at all. I mean, this thing is light. It's nothing but a vessel for these guys' wit. But I think this has a big feeling to me of a production somewhat out of control. Because, Stuart, you say all we have are the jokes, but scenes like this, where you have all the friends getting killed, that's not funny, obviously, and... I think it exists in order to tell a story, in order to have an arc, in order to have a, dare I use the P word, plot. Right. I think we've really labeled this one wrong. We've included her as the kickoff for DC heroes, but it's clear from the beginning, she is no hero. A hero is someone that stands up for what's right and fights for it. And this is a very self-involved character who has no stake in anything. I mean, how are we going to care about the plot? When she doesn't care. They give us one thing from this world. There is a little girl named Sam. There's a little boy, too. Never see him again. He did. <laughs> There's a little girl named Sam, and they dangle her around for the rest of the movie. She's constantly getting kidnapped and put in danger, and supposedly Becca will care enough to pull it together and rally to reclaim her, but it's the thinnest of devices. Truly, it's little more than the fact that she's a little version of herself, and they have a scene at a campfire where they're playing with dolls, and she gives her a little phantasm ball weapon. I mean, there's very little bonding between these two. It's the thinnest of characterizations. I was wondering if maybe the fact that it was these comic book guys being green, that was the problem. But I think it's more accurate to say that it's not in the spirit of Tank Girl to adhere to those kinds of rules. So, you know what? I keep going with it, and I'm still having a good time. As we see her fall into captivity, I still think there's a lot to smile and have fun about, even though I'm still weird about the fact that those people we met and were supposedly expected to follow through are now dead. She's getting new friends here. And it takes her a while to get them. <laughs> this is where I felt the movie started to slow down a little bit. She is in prison for quite some time, and I'm waiting for something to happen. We are also introduced to Jets. Jet Girl, who's another prisoner there. She's the mechanic I mentioned. Yeah, it's her best friend, right? This is the main friendship that she's going to forge. It's her Robin to her Batman, or whatever you want to see this. I like how they meet. They meet cute, because she's about to get raped, and so Tank Girl comes <laughs> in and says they're a lesbians. 
Oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> well, getting to see the makeout was cute. It's cute in this tank girl universe, it is. That's as close to, yeah, make cute as we get. I mean, just a few moments before this attempted rape, tank girl is told by a soldier, I'm going to put something in your mouth, and if I feel teeth, you're going to get it. Yeah. So, yes, that is the level of maturity we're dealing with in this film. Sure, and she responds by assuming a sexual position that allows her to break his neck. It's a romp. It's really crass, and I think it's a good vibe. I just keep wishing, again and again, as we see her in these skits, I wish they were scenes. I wish that we had maybe a stronger director or stronger writing, something to just rein Petty in here, because you're right, it's a lot of Petty, and when she meets Jet, I'm looking for some of the spotlight to go to her, but Naomi Watts plays it so introverted. I mean, her character arc, if she has one, is that she goes from being mousy to being assertive. Barely assertive. Yes, yeah, it's too much <laughs> of her not being assertive, really, that we needed to see the influence of Tank Girl on her much earlier. I wanted to have more fun with Jet than I ever did. Honestly, I don't think she does much in this film, except watch Petty go crazy. I was surprised, too. I mean, Nomi Watts is a tremendous actress. To see her do so little throughout this entire movie, I never would have expected it. This must have been one of her earliest roles, coming five or six years before Mulholland Drive. Yeah, I was shocked when I, knowing who she is now, when I went back and watched this a couple years ago, realizing that it was her. It's not a star vehicle. You don't look at her in this point and say, yeah, she's going to be big. I didn't even realize at first that this was Nomi Watts because, yeah, it's a totally different performance. And really, the only person I'm looking at in this entire prison scene is our villain. We've been introduced to Malcolm McDowell by this point, who's the head of water and power, and we see him as an evil, maniacal boss. I'm not quite sure what water and power rules. They have all the water. They've been getting it out from under the desert. And because they have water, they're in control. But I don't know who they're in control of. They weren't in control of Tank Girl's cadre of people. Are there people to whom water and power sells water and power? Well, there is a city. We barely get any sights of it, but they seem to live in some kind of industrialized area. Honestly, I don't think they have the money to really create it and explore it. So they spend a lot more time in the sand dunes than they ever do in these Blade Runner cityscapes. But whatever is left of the human race has become enslaved in this fascist regime that Malcolm McDowell does not only control all the water, but by doing so, controls all the people. And that tank girl was an anomaly. Her and her kind are the last of the independent livers and growers. Yeah, I have no doubt it was budget constraints. Why we didn't see groups of people begging to buy water. Reportedly, the studio just forgot to shoot certain scenes. And we'll talk about some of the animation <laughs> later on. That was like the fix. Well, we forgot to shoot it. Let's just animate it. Oh, no way. Yes. Really? The animation scenes were to plug up holes that were not filmed? That's what Hewlett and Martin have claimed. Now, they're extremely bitter at this production, but that's what they have said. You see, I thought that was a throwback to... The year before with Natural Born Killers, Natural Born Killers movie I loved, parodied media by using all kinds of different media styles, including animated sequences and video and black and white and all kinds of things. I love that movie. 
honestly, I thought Tala Lay had seen Natural Born Killers, decided since she was working on a comic book movie, she could take some of that. Plus, this animation style has reminded me a lot of Liquid Television from MTV. There you go. It's not just Natural Born Killers. Natural Born Killers were trying to be the same thing that this movie is. It was trying to be hip. Adult animation had really sprung up in the early 90s. I was watching it. Me, who was not the comic book guy, did get into manga, did read Akira, did watch Eon Flux. I did like the idea that cartoons didn't necessarily mean Disney, and that we could get sex and violence and all of this stuff in Japanese animation. I think that was a cool device, and I think that Talalay is trying to hip up her movie. But you're right, maybe she's trying to plug up her movie, too. But back to Malcolm McDowell... I love the way he's chewing up the scenery here. This is around the same time as he was in Star Trek Generations. He still has that somewhat youthful look to him. He's still not a complete joke yet. He has some of that clockwork orange menace when he plays a bad guy. But when I see him put a water bottle into somebody and drink their bodily excretions, I'm not quite sure what to make of him. I kind of dig that. You know, this was the part where I really got the sense of Dune. And I kept coming up with Dune again and again. You say Mad Max, and that's probably true. I'm a Mad Max newbie. I don't know those movies. I never was a Mel Gibson fan, so I've never seen any of those films. We'll have to get to it. But I do know Dune. I do know David Lynch. And there is this over-the-top character, the Baron, who's trying to control all the spice on the Dune planet. And he does suck out the fluids of all these little boys that are brought to him as trophies. I did really feel like they were pulling a lot from that David Lynch world, but on a much more constrained budget, almost on a Pee Wee Herman budget. This felt like Pee Wee's Playhouse remake of Dune more than Dune itself. This film definitely has a B-movie vibe. And so when you get Malcolm McDowell, he's drinking bodily fluids, he's walking on glass. That's cool, right? That's what we want to see our over-the-top villain do. Why does he care that Tanker was able to kill eight people and that means she'll be some great soldier in... (laughs) In Water and Power? I don't know. This film is firmly in B-movie territory. If you're looking for motivations and deep characters, go somewhere else. Maybe go to Pee-wee's Playhouse, because that's not happening here. I won't go to Pee-wee's Playhouse for deep motivations and characters, but I actually got why he wanted hers because of the Rippers. And now the Rippers are my hook. During these prison scenes, I am getting a little tired of Petty. Oh, come on, Arnie. Petty taking this, like, supposedly sexy shower with delousing powder? That's funny stuff. Like, the way it's shot in slow-mo and it's supposed to be sexual. But I get what you're saying. This does drag on at times in prison. Oh, that seems funny for all the wrong reasons. But... What I'm holding on to are these rippers. They look kind of like the Predator, and they're these evil killers. They're the ones keeping water and power from the last small percentage of water in the desert. And so I'm holding out for these rippers. I'm getting kind of a similar feel that I got from the Reavers from Firefly, which came out, you know, a decade after this. But I'm wanting to see Tank Girl go up against these badass mutants. So that's why they want her is because they don't want to lose any more of their soldiers and none of them have even been able to get a single clip off against the Rippers. So I'm now waiting for that clash to happen. I did have the bad feeling that what did happen would happen, that Tank Girl and the Rippers would end up teaming up against Malcolm McDowell, but I still wanted to get to the Rippers. They're the character that, yes, does have a character arc. They start as being this unknown threat savages, things that really must be avoided at all costs. Remember, Tank Girl's first experience was not with water and power. She found a corpse that was mauled up 
by rippers. And then later, that little girl, Sam, is making a wood carving of what she thinks rippers look like. It is this urban legend that they're going to be, yes, a super monstrous threat. And when we do see snatches of them, it's kind of predator-like. They got this sleek body armor, and they're scary. Artie, I'm already anticipating your disappointment because I knew what the rippers were. I knew what they turn out to be. So I feel sorry for you. I really do empathize with you. You should feel sorry for me. I watched this movie twice. But for now, Malcolm is our villain, and he really does remain the main antagonist against Tank Girl. There's endless scenes of him torturing her, and he wants her to basically go find the Ripper hideout, and thus he can know where his enemy is and wipe them out, right? He thinks that he can buy her off. Oh, but you can't buy off Tank Girl. She's just upset she can't play with herself in a straitjacket. Are her jokes starting to get old for anyone else? I never thought I'd get tired of dirty talking women. This movie proved to me wrong. I have not gotten tired of it. No. Dirty talking women come my way. It's not the dirty talk. I probably of all of us have the lowest tolerance for that. But I did like her pluckishness. I like the fact that somebody punches her in the face early on and she gets this ugly scar and she ends up taking a band-aid and making like a little Hindi decorative thing. It ends up accentuating her outfit. For as ungirly as she is, she still has a lot of clothes and she still does a lot of fashion changes and tries to be outrageous with her dress. And I do like that she's... Even here, able to take a facial scar and turn it into a fashion flourish. As Nellie would do a few years later. But I can't say that I don't want something to happen. I'm waiting for Act 2. You know, half hour happens. The rule is by 20, certainly 30 minutes, we need to have a big event to get us going in a new direction. And I think it comes when she finally earns her name. She's not Tank Girl yet, but here in Enslavement, she does find out that they have these old weapons lying around and falls in love with a Big-ass tank. Love that scene. I will say, this movie was losing me in these prison scenes. And I'm just wondering when the fuck something's gonna happen. But when she sees that tank and they start playing the Shaft-like music... I love Shaft. It brought me right back to the good mood I was having in the opening credits. I don't understand the tank, though. She falls in love with it? This is a phallic replacement for the boyfriend that got mowed down? Like, she's literally mounting it and grappling it. They imply here that she really has an affection for this thing, and it will end up having, like, sentient qualities. Like, it follows her around. Like, it's a pet. This thing has its own brain, and it just chooses to follow Petty. Did something get lost here? In the comic, Jacob, is she more defined with her relationship and this artillery? The whole gimmick of the comic was you have characters like Superman and Wonder Woman, and these guys just wanted to do Tank Girl and Jet Girl and Sub Girl. Like, that was really the roots was just riffing off kind of the silliness of comics. And so, hey, we're going to have this punk rock chick with, like, this badass tank driving around. Okay. It doesn't go much deeper than that. (laughs) And maybe it doesn't need to. I mean, in these early scenes, I'm fascinated by what she's going to do. I think that she's going to take that tank and bust out of captivity. It's kind of a surprise when we find out she's kind of arbitrarily free, that they're taking her to go find the Rippers, and the Rippers attack and kill everyone there, including Malcolm McDowell. I did like how they left Malcolm McDowell's arm, and when Tank Girl goes, where's the rest of him? Well, we know we haven't seen the last of him in the movie, but yeah, it is disappointing. At this point, Tank Girl, our main character, isn't doing anything. 
And never will. Yes. She's going from place to place, but not even by her own volition. At the second act, she starts to do a little bit more, but it's also where I think the story starts to fall apart and where I really think Talalay was losing utter control because the Rippers leave her alive for reasons unknown. Jets is alive because she's in a jet. And then they just kind of wander around and meet a crazy lady who tells them, oh, the little girl is alive. Who's she? Exposition girl? Yes. Yeah. Remember Sam? Yeah, it's time to go somewhere different. And so, yes, that girl that was kidnapped from the colony is now at a space stripper club. I do love that they go to rescue Sam from a brothel. Little girl, she's what, maybe 11 years old. But they're like, we can't just roll into town with our tank and our jet because they'll know they're stolen from water and power. So we're going to go into a music video scene now and paint them and it's almost incomprehensible what's going on wardrobe changes for no reason it really is a music video we do get some great animation during it though yeah and it's in the animation i see tank girl putting a brain in the tank i don't know whose brain is it the crazy lady's brain where'd they find a brain oh i didn't notice that that's key so it does have its own brain it can think that would have helped so much if they had chosen to focus on that a little bit more yeah, it's blink and you miss it in animation. She has what looks like a human brain that she is putting in the tank. So the tank was not sentient until this montage. Ha ha, the joke's on me. <laughs> All right, yeah, major plot point, and we're going to barely show it to you. Wow, this girl really wants to screw with my ability to follow her plots. There is not a plot to follow. I really feel strongly about that. It is a series of skits, and your enjoyment of this film depends on if you find these skits funny or not. Oh, but they're so not, Jacob. They're so not. And the worst of them all is coming up right here at the strip club, where... She's going to take the madam and make her sing old-timey music? Loving it. Love this whole musical scene where you get a cameo of Iggy Pop trying to whore out this young girl. And yeah, your punishment for pimping out children is you have to do a song and dance number. Let's fall in love. I'm not sure why they chose this one, but Cole Porter. The rights were free. Yeah, that's probably true, actually. <laughs> It's very indulgent. I can accept one musical number. They do another one later that gets my goat a little bit more, but the movie is really playing with us, delaying any kind of gratification we're going to have with Tank Girl in her tank kicking ass. It's just turning out to not be the movie that I expected. And so I'm having to readjust. I'm having to go where you're going, Jacob. At this point, I realize it is not a plot. This is something that will morph and change scene by scene. They don't even get Sam. You know, they go all this way to the strip club and she gets taken by water and power or something. Like, it doesn't even matter. It was just all so they could do a Busby Berkeley kick line. There was no other reason to do this other than wouldn't it be funny to have Iggy Pop and all these crazy characters doing something old-fashioned. Okay, sorry to harsh your buzz here, guys, because both of you seem to be enjoying the trip, but it should matter. You can have a series of funny skits, but there should be also some logical reasoning around it. Otherwise, I could be watching SNL and getting better jokes. Even they know it because at this point, this is the one moment now, 55 minutes into this movie, where they finally acknowledge this needs to be about more than Lori Petty. Lori Petty, for just about an hour, has done a stand-up routine with lots of gags and props and a few people coming in to assist with said gags and props. But now she's going to get a crew that are bringing their own gags and really become the focus for the next half hour. She decides the only way 
to fight her enemy, Malcolm McDowell, is to get his enemy to reclaim little Sam. Yes, Arnie, now you get to find out more about the Rippers. You're so excited for this moment, weren't you? I really was. You have no idea (laughs) how much I was waiting to quote Malcolm McDowell for a little of the ultraviolence that the Rippers were going to bring. And, oh my God, it's turtle power time. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. You're right. Oh my God, I couldn't believe... I'll admit, over the holidays last year, I, for fun, watched the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 90. And I can't believe how much these Rippers had in common there, only with cheaper costumes. It's the same kind of vibe where each one has this personality. They're semi-human, semi-animal, mutants. They can fight. They're funny. They're going to go against the norms and be wacky. Come on. Come on. Stan Winston's work here is actually not bad. I actually was surprised at how convincing is not the word, but how willing I'm to go with this rendering of kangaroo men soldiers or whatever they're supposed to be. I like the Rippers. Am I alone? No, I'll go with you, Stuart, because it's the right feel for this movie. Arnie, if you're expecting Predators, I don't know how well any kangaroo suit could have convinced you that this was the right move. Well, a kangaroo suit, admittedly, they're doing what the source material said, but it felt like very much a bait and switch. You offer me Predator, you give me Fraggles. Have you not paid attention the last 60 minutes? Yeah, they did not offer you Predator. <laughs> Maybe in like five seconds they offered you Predator. But for the most part, they never said this was hard sci-fi. No, but in the scenes that had the Rippers before, they seemed dangerous. They seemed geegerish. And Stuart, you say the Stan Winston outfits aren't bad. They are. They really are. You can see the seams of the nose pasted on their face. I'm sorry. I couldn't believe that they were Stan Winston creations because they just looked so bad. The only thing I can say, though, is here it is where Freddy's Dead comes crashing back. We said in Freddy's Dead's review that that became too cartoony, too comic booky, too Looney Tunes. Here, Talalay is given free reign to go into that territory and... Boy, does she. Did we want her to? Well, Arnie, we both recommended that movie. I had to go back and check as I was thinking about Freddy's Dead. I'm like, that was so bad, wasn't it? Oh, wait, recommend? Huh. Okay. I think that it's both. I think it's awesome and awful at the same time. I think that I kind of love where this movie is in this moment and at the same time realize this is just utter junk and a total waste of time. I think it's really a movie to get stoned to. I mean, I don't think (laughs) that it's something that you can, without assistance, get into the vibe (laughs) for 90 minutes to enjoy. It just doesn't sustain it. But in moments here, I'm won over when I see that the Rippers are goofy, as you point out, Mutant Ninja Turtle ripoffs. And hey, we get our biggest star of the whole film, bigger than Lori Petty. Here's Ice-T. And this is what sells the Rippers. If it was just this group, it'd be goofy. But the fact that they got Ice-T to put on this makeup, (laughs) and man, he's got a sour look on his face. I don't think it's just because he's Ice-T. It's because he's in this costume. And that's what makes the Rippers, at least for me, enjoyable, is that they got that man to do this role. And Ice-T looks so pissed off in this movie, possibly because they put a freaking snout on him. 
<laughs> this is cop killer era ice T. I mean, this is when he's got his heavy metal band body count going. Yeah, he wasn't a cop killer at that point. He was an agent killer. <laughs> he was going to put a cap in somebody's ass for putting him on that set. He was not going to have fun. That is the one joke of this whole movie that was laugh out loud funny was when Laurie Petty asked what he was in a previous life and he said a cop. Yeah. That was funny. <laughs> oh, come on. There's a lot that's funny here. But Ice-T is actually the least interesting ripper of the whole bunch. I like this collective. They make me smile here. Ice-T's the party pooper. He doesn't like any of the ideas. He doesn't want to be there. Maybe that's Ice-T, the personality angry on the set that he was tricked into being into this garbage Mad Max movie. But I also just think that that's one shade of all the various personalities we get here. We also get Booga, who is sort of the love interest, believe it or not, that Lori Petty goes ripper and doesn't go back. She eventually will call this her new boyfriend. And that freaked me out, Stuart, as much as the Beverly Howard scene freaked you out in Howard the Duck. Because if she's going to sleep with these kangaroo men, does she have to pick the one that is zero human? He's part kangaroo, part dog. And all I'm thinking is the bestiality angle on that. <laughs> totally appropriate for Tank Girl. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, I agree. I'm surprised she doesn't sleep Sleep with more animals in this film. Right. <laughs> Leah Thompson, despite playing a rocker, always seemed like the girl next door. Lori Petty, Becca, the tank girl, I believe that she could go there with minimal problem, really. She's made it clear <laughs> she's pretty experimental. And then we have other ones, too. I actually think my personal favorite here is DT. He's sort of the cool jazz poet one. He breaks out a saxophone at one point. He's sort of like a black intellectual. I would call him the leader of the group, but we're actually told the real leader is away trying to solve the water crisis. But he's sort of their spiritual guru. I think he's the leader of the Rippers. The person who you're talking about is actually the human who genetically engineered the Rippers, who's away. Oh, Prophet is a human? Yes. Yeah, Johnny Prophet was a scientist that created them and then kind of freedom from water and power because he didn't agree with their tactics. But Prophet's gone missing. He's looking for water or in New Zealand. Wait, I'm confused. So later, there's the whole heist where they attack water and power and they get all the crates and they find a body inside. That wasn't a kangaroo body? That was a human body? No, that was a decomposed Johnny Prophet, a human body. Oh. Well, maybe I need to go back and get all the nuances I missed, but I don't think so. You can do the next plot summary. How about that? <laughs> I clearly missed a few details here, but I was charmed, you know, and then there's another guy that's always wearing punk rock shirts and he's kind of a horn dog. They are fun. Are they too kitty? I think that's what I'm hearing from you, Arnie, is that they have made this too childish for you at this point. But this movie has always had one foot in infantile humor. I guess my problem is it seems inconsistent. This is a hard R film. Is it? Thanks to the dialogue, and there's some nudity at the strip club of extras on the set. Yet, you've got this going on. You mentioned getting stoned to watch it. I suppose that would be the best audience, would be like experimenting with substances, 18 and 19-year-old college kids who would be able to see this, but also be really stoned out of their mind. Because if you're going to do a hard R comedy comic book movie, then you can't go to Muppet humor. You can't have them pray by doing a dance number. 
Okay, you got me with that. Yeah, you can't do that. That was horrible. <laughs> that should not have happened. It's unintentionally funny. Like, I crack up every time I see it. Wasn't it the 90s where we started getting all the chick flicks where the chicks would dance around as this big female empowerment thing? I saw it as riffing off of that. I don't know if it matched with the time, but it's so out of place. Yes, you're either going to hate it or you're going to kind of chuckle at it. And I chuckle at it. I am wondering where this movie is going to find itself. By this point, this is a lot of scenes. This is not just like one montage or one scene. It's a good 20 minutes in the bowling alley with them hanging out with the ruse, trying to figure out, do they care enough about little Sam to actually go rescue her or not? But in order to see if Tank Girl is worthy, they do send her off to get that crate. And this is the one action scene I really like. Is She's hijacking a truck, and for a brief moment, I see a totally different movie. Tank Girl is Indiana Jones. She's climbing on the truck. She's doing some hard-ass action, and I love the fact that it's Lori Petty, this tiny little girl, is pulling off an action scene that you would really expect Harrison Ford to be doing at that point in his career, and selling every bit of it. She is not a little girl who needs to be rescued. At the very last minute, that Ripper comes jumping in, and he comes in way too late, and even he says, yeah, you had that in hand, but I'm here because I like you. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is the first real action scene of the film. I'm trying to think through this kind of plot. This is where we get some really good stuff. Petty on the tank. I like the humor that they put in here. She's roasting weenies as this sentient tank's kind of rolling forward. And yeah, there are some great stunts. I really am impressed by the way that she kind of surfs on that gun turret, that she really hangs on there. You know, maybe not an amazing stunt, but she just seems so natural. I want to really compliment Lori Petty. Whether you like the character or not, or think she's a complete idiot or hilarious, it's really natural for her to play in this world and really own this movie. It just comes almost effortlessly, the way that she just kind of throws herself around. The set is her playground, and she exploits every nook and cranny. And again, I just want to say... I like the fact that it's a woman doing it completely on her own, and the movie is selling it in such a way that it is believable. At no point do you think she wouldn't be capable of all of this. That's a big thing for women in 95. I mean, were we around the same point with suit me up, Uncle Alfred? A couple <laughs> years before that. Yes. Several hundred million less than that. <laughs> less. <laughs> But they are building towards some kind of fight. We know Malcolm McDowell isn't totally out of the picture. I was kind of thrown. I really did believe that he was dead, but he is not. Is he robot now? Is there any of him left? I'm not sure how much organic McDowell there still is, but he has gotten some robotic assistance and is this cyborg plotting revenge. Yeah, I don't know if you guys are Inspector Gadget fans, but <laughs> there's a definite Dr. Claw feel here, especially with this big old robotic arm that he gets. Yeah, Morphin Power Ranger kind of stuff is what I was feeling, yeah. And that was my second favorite joke of this whole movie, because I'm a huge Blade Runner fan, and so you've got Malcolm McDowell on the table, and he has no arm, and his face is all torn up. Who comes in? James Hong from Blade Runner. I expect him to go, you want eye? I have eyes. And he's the one who comes at him with, it looks like a tree branch cutter and cuts his head off. But that's just so they can make him a hologram. Obviously, his body is still human because later on they pull fluids out of it. But they cut off his head somehow with no anesthetic. Yes, I believe that's it. He is just a torso by the end of it. A holographic head and animatronic robotic arms and limbs. And he is a cyborg. 
a tougher version of himself, one that could now actually take on Petty and her tank without an army. So I'm curious to see how they're going to pull this off. Up to this point, I'm forgiving this movie's its excesses. It really helps that I'm watching it at home. I can't imagine being in a theater in 1995 having paid money to see it. Neither can most of America. Yes. It, 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 Even then. Yes. <laughs> but here, like I said, treating it as this touchstone of the 90s that I dug up, I've kind of accepted its flaws and kind of rolled with it. But I'm really ready for it to do something now. It really needs to come together for this climax when Petty comes back. And this is where the movie, I gotta say, truly fails. Up to this point, you can say they've had missteps, but this climax is a failure. Yeah, it really feels like it's a rush to end this film. Like, that budget's getting really low. We gotta wrap it up, guys. Yeah, half of it's animated, so if what you say <laughs> is true, Jacob, that could be the reason. I wanted this ending. This is where I felt the movie was going from the first act. It was always about this fight against water and power. As I said earlier, I had this feeling Tank Girl and the Rippers were going to team up to go after water and power. This was the ending I wanted to the movie. It's just a shame that Talalay cannot do action. I mean, you can, in addition to see the seams on the makeup, you can see the wires that drag them up for their attacks. Yes, that's the problem. It's not the shoddiness. There's something endearing sometimes in midnight movies. It's like winking at the audience by making something look cheap, by using models, by using things that aren't impressive in the way that they would be in a big blockbuster. But the fighting in this, the wire work, dreadful dreadful when the kangaroos finally are here to kick ass it's just abysmal i can't even look at it i can't even think about it it's dismal what's so disappointing is you get this big build-up tank girls parasailing in off of her tank jet girls flying in on her jet i think i know why it's such a big deal that tank girl killed eight water and power goons because that was like half their army <laughs> this should be a huge battle and it's like five guys punching each other well, Malcolm McDowell's all that you need at this point because he's tougher than any of his men. But yeah, they've set us up for something big here. And time and again, they kill DT. Who cares? Jet Girl finally shows assertiveness as she's flying in and raises her voice for the first time. Not impressed. I mean, because so much of this has been about Tank Girl, I can't care now. She's cared so little about everything else. How can we care now when she's trying to be a hero? After 90 minutes, she's been this jerk-off. She's now trying to be a hero. Well, come on. She's trying to save Sam. Remember her? <laughs> Barely. Who's slowly, slowly drowning. Drip by drip. In a world with no water, I think that's not called a torture. That's called paradise, right? Yeah, yeah. Drink up. She's got to open those lips and take a big sip. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy that torture. There's no reason for her to drown with that little trickle of water coming in. I mean, yeah. I don't even care about Sam, to be quite honest. This doesn't seem important to me, but what it does is it motivates a one-on-one -on -one with Becca and McDowell. Bad fight. I like what they did with McDowell. Like you said, Arnie, he's got this holographic head. I like the ideas there, but yeah, it just not much happens. And if I wasn't thinking Mutant Ninja Turtles from the Rippers, I certainly was from McDowell's robotic shredder arm. They have this thing about what he bugged her and she basically led them into a trap. This is the big moment of horror is that she realizes she was working with him all the time. Even though she thought that everything she did was rejecting his offer, she actually did everything that he wanted. To. She's played into his plot, and he's won. 
And then, all of a sudden, here comes the tank to save the day. Or at least to shoot some beer cans. <laughs> and then to cut to a scene from The Wizard of Oz. And I'll admit, I was clicking my heels saying I wish I was home. <laughs> I was home and I was clicking my heels. Yeah. <laughs> this is painful. This stuff is not funny at this point. We deserve something more rousing than what we're getting here. Why even try? I'm going to put this on the table. If you cannot pull this off, if you couldn't show us the world and the city and the armies and really what's going on and show a moment where the dam breaks and the water comes and they can really go water skiing, if you can't do those kind of big water world moments, why do that at all? I mean, if you're so punk rock, blow off a traditional Hollywood ending. Go do something else. Go tap dance on the moon. Truly, <laughs> why even have this final battle? Leave Malcolm McDowell dead in the middle of the movie and end on some other note. I say really be punk if you're going to do it. Give a middle finger to these cliches. The end of this film is animated. I don't know what happened. They kill McDowell. Yeah, and they go water skiing. I almost wish this entire film was animated. They could have yes. done probably what they intended to do. It would have felt like a punk rock version of heavy metal. Not the music, but the animated film. Yeah, yeah. you're right. That's a great idea. I, it never would have occurred to me, but this would have been awesome if they had released this and those animated scenes fully, the whole film. They would have been able to do what they would want to do and, yeah, had a lot more fun. I could have gone with the incoherence more, I think. I think so, too, but then Laurie Petty would not have any reason for ever having a career. Well, I don't think she had one after this. This was the <laughs> swan song, as it were. After that, I think it was some TV stuff and obscurity. Well, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Tank Girl? Jacob. You know, I've been really harsh on some comic book films and other movies throughout this podcast because their storytelling isn't that great or there's plot problems that really ruin the movie. I'm not going to have those complaints here because, Arnie, you always talk about your hamburger and your steak analogy. You know, you eat a piece of steak, you're going to judge it by the qualities of a steak. You're going to eat a hamburger, you're going to judge it by the qualities of a good hamburger. I can't judge this by the qualities of a steak or a hamburger. I'm going to go by beef jerky. <laughs> you know, what is this film? It's not about coherent plots. It's not about character arcs. I Barely anyone has one where you talked about Jet. She's got the slightest of one, if anyone has a character arc here. This film is about skits and giving the middle finger to popular culture. Stuart, I think you got it right. Midnight movies. That's how this feels to me. It's a B movie, maybe a B minus movie, but a B film. And a lot of times those films, they count on the viewer to understand how a good film works, and that way they could take shortcuts and go on aside and not really develop things. This film works there. A lot of it's going to be based on the humor. Do you find this funny? Do you find it funny throughout the entire film? That's so subjective, but for me, this works. It keeps my attention until the very end. I never get bored. I've rewatched this film a number of times. I don't get bored until the end where the action just doesn't live up to what they're trying to pull off. But for the most part, I find this enjoyable, and I've never watched it on any kind of illegal substances. <laughs> so I guess that's saying something. So, yeah, I'm going to give this film a recommend. It's a year of mileage may vary recommend because so much of it is based on your subjective sense of humor. But it's one that I would recommend trying out and seeing if it works for you. Stuart. Can't go that far, but I hear what you're saying, Jacob. And the surprise is it's a lot better than its reputation would have you to believe. I thought this was going to be one of the true dogs. You know, I had seen a couple stills and I'm just like, this looks like garbage. There's some fun here. It's undeniable that particularly if you have affection for those early... Early 90s alternative. If you were alive at the time, you're going to find something funny in this movie. It is inoffensive camp. And it kind of rides that bubble 
that Freddy's Dead did, you know, and I ended up giving that a recommend. I ended up just kind of going with what it had to offer and ignoring all the things that were irritants. But the truth of the matter is, and the reason why I think I got to go not recommend is this truly could have been so much better if they had a confident director at the helm. Talele is directing this exactly as she did Freddy's Dead. It's a loose hand. If it makes her laugh, she keeps it in there. If it's congruous with the plot, doesn't matter. Throw in some star cameos. Yuck it up. Give me a Tim Burton. Give me a Terry Gilliam. Give me somebody who is capable of giving us all this whimsy and all this craziness, but still can cohere it into a plot that makes sense and that will keep our attentions locked you know my problem is that 30 minutes of this movie and i'm good it doesn't even matter at what point put it on at any point 30 minutes and i'm good i don't want to watch 90 (laughs) minutes of this it needs to be corralled it needs to be shaped and a good director really could have made this the fun punky movie that it almost is but truly is not. You know, I can understand why someone says that this is a cult film for them and they love it even though they know it's bad. It's a guilty pleasure, the very definition. And I wouldn't take away anyone's guilty pleasure. But the truth of the matter is, it's just not a very good film. And I'm going to go mild not recommend. I've been pretty harsh on this movie throughout this podcast. And I feel deservedly so. But that said, while I think this film is an abject failure, I think it's a noble one. I actually really like some things about this movie that we talked about real early on but go throughout. The use of music in this movie is phenomenal. The soundtrack to this movie is great. Even artists I don't normally like, Bjork, they use well in this movie. Petty has an undeniable energy that is just cranked to 11 this entire movie, which is admirable. It does get old, but it's admirable that you can keep that energy so consistently every scene. Some of the jokes do work as well. I really admire them for having the balls or their back against the wall to try and emulate that Oliver Stone natural born killer's vision in a more overtly humorous way. It's ambitious. And yes, Stuart, what you said earlier, I completely agree. In the hands of a better, more experienced, more talented, visionary director, this could all have gelled with every other piece in place. But with Talalay at the helm, Petty left in the sole spotlight, I kind of look at Ice-T in this movie, and every scene you see him in, he's got this (laughs) sneer, because somebody convinced him to put on this silly makeup and look like a dog. And... Ice, I'm right there with you. I'm not smiling either at any points, really. The music got me going early on, but by the time you show up, you and I are looking at each other like we're the only two who know what the fuck is going on. So, Ice, I'm there with you with a not recommend. Oh, I didn't know which way you were going to go. That's a surprise. I thought for sure you were giving this one a pass. I think we can all agree. Watch five minutes of it, and if you think you'll like it, go ahead and stick with it as long as you can. I wouldn't begrudge anyone that wants to see it to see it, but it doesn't sustain its runtime. I would love a remake of it, though. I think this property could work. I have read some indie comics. I've never read Tank Girl, but certain comics similar to it. And I think that this could definitely work, especially in this time period where we are, again, getting to a point without the over-sexualized but still strong empowered female heroes i think a body r-rated tank girl movie could work 
I think it just needs a, to basically have the dread type of hand taken to it where you just regain control and have to somehow make everyone forget Lori Petty. And if they go with my idea of use a contemporary musician that knows the music video world, this seems like a perfect project for Lady Gaga, doesn't it? Uh, I knew you were going to go there, and that makes me cringe a little, thinking of Lady Gaga trying to pull this off. I feel like they have something here. The problem was, to Lele, I think the reason why I went yes to Freddie and no to this is, she's asked to create the world. She was stepping into a nightmare on Elm Street 6. Here, she was trying to start something, and that lack of vision is what made it so problematic. She would have been okay directing a Tank Girl sequel, but she didn't know how to set the boundaries and the rules. The model here, I think, is Buffy. You know, Buffy started out as a not very successful, campy movie from the early 90s and then got rebooted as a much more sophisticated, low-rent TV series. I think that's the way to go. Bring this to television. It has the kind of culty vibe that would do well on Comedy Central. Get a shock comedian. There's so many great female comedians right now that have potty mouths. It could do really well in a smaller scale. It's not a movie. That's what I really get the sense is Tank Girl works great on the page. It works great in small bits. Don't try to make an epic out of it. This is, at best, a good TV series. I would like to see them attempt another Tank Girl film. It's never going to happen. Hewlett and Martin were burned on this. They got screwed out of tons of money, tons of rights. I mean, they tried to produce some Tank Girl toys a few years ago, and the studio, I guess, still has something in the contract. We're like, nope. You can't make them. We own the rights to do merchandising for this still. It's a mess. The gorillas were actually approached to do a full-length featured film. And they're like, after this experience, no, we're never going to try to do anything with Hollywood again. So I would like to see another attempt. Unfortunately, I don't think it is ever going to happen. Well, they may have been screwed out of money, but they certainly weren't screwed out of profits. This movie did really poorly. (laughs) Yeah. It was not a hit at the time. It was coming at the tail end of this. We're all romancing the era and the music and all of that. But by 1995, this scene was really winding down. And Courtney Love would clean up her act and everyone moved on and did other things. That music scene was just about to go away. And yeah, Sugar Pop was coming. But maybe in retrospect, people can go back to this and find something of their youth here. I know I did. To a degree, it was kind of like taking a time machine back 20 years to college oh you're definitely right Stuart. this film has gained a pretty good cult following since its release over the last decade or so i don't know that i'd call her a hero this certainly is a strange way to build a superman when i think about this character it's a whole lot more crazy than just about anything in the marvel canon i don't think we had anything quite like this i think the closest we came was howard yeah you're right. And to many, that is not a good comparative. <laughs> I'll take Lori Petty over that duck. I choose the duck and Leah Thompson. <laughs> well, just like we followed up Howard with something a little more supernatural, next week we have Constantine or Constantine, as I guess they call him in the film, a supernatural magic user, again, from Vertigo, from this more mature line of DC Comics. I've actually seen this one, so there's stuff to talk about. I saw it way back when, remember nothing, but next week we'll find out. So, Stuart, Jacob, thank you for joining me. A reminder to our listeners, you can head to our archive section at nowplayingpodcast.com where you can hear our review of other DC Comics movies like Green Lantern and all the Batman films, including the 60s one. 
or Marvel Comics films, Howard the Duck, Man-Thing, Fantastic Four, every Marvel movie, Doctor Strange, the TV movie stuff, as well as theatrical series, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, the entire James Bond franchise, all this and more in the archive section at NowPlayingPodcast.com. And also still available is our fifth anniversary dvd rom set this has all of our reviews on it including our previous donation drive reviews which have never been made available since their original release only available while supplies of this dvd remain and we only have a few left folks but you get to hear all of our reviews of the alien films the jaws films the thing from another world trilogy Poltergeist, Exorcist, Child's Play, over 300 reviews, extended cuts of reviews, behind-the-scenes interviews with us, enhanced podcast of Howard the Duck with photos as you go, a completely unedited cut of our Star Trek 2009 podcast, so much more. You can find all the details by clicking the banner at the top of NowPlayingPodcast.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, please take some time, head to iTunes, and leave us a written five-star review. It really will help out the show. And we will be back next week to talk about Constantine. So until next time, I'll see you cats at the big jam in the sky. No, you will live, John Constantine. You will live. You will have the chance to prove that your soul truly belongs. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing, and we hope you've enjoyed the show. It's been swell, but swelling's gone now. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another DC Heroes movie. Suit yourself. Can't say I blame you. In the archives at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear reviews of comic book movies such as all the Batman films, Green Lantern, Catwoman, the Marvel Avengers films, and many more. Well, I thought that with your background, you could at least point me in the right direction. Yeah, okay, sure. You can also hear our reviews of non-comic-based films, including Star Trek, Predator, James Bond, Rambo, Rocky, and more. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. We'll see you very soon. You can also read written movie reviews by the Now Playing hosts at the Venganza Media Gazette. The link can be found at the Now Playing homepage. You know, I'm really starting to like it here. People are nice, food's great, and I love my job. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this review with other listeners. I came as fast as I could. I know you probably didn't need help, but I got here as fast as I could. You can also follow Now Playing at Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. Abandon all hope, ye who enter ye. The links to our social media pages can be found at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Grab your child and tree into thy kingdom. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You want to see me tomorrow? You pay fair like everyone else. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Transactions all it was. I'll collect my $100 bounty on them and be on my way. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy panties, coffee mugs, t-shirts, totes, boxers, teddy bears, and much more. 
find me something he loves and bring it to me. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be desirable. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Congratulations. Now Playing's DC Heroes Retrospective Series is edited by Dylan, Jeff, and Arnie. Hey, which of you gorgeous guys would like an oil change, hmm? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. You're a walking, talking, living microphone. Now Playing is not affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Pictures, or United Artists. Tank Girl is the property of DC Comics and United Artists, and Constantine and Jonah Hex are the properties of DC Comics and Warner Brothers Pictures, and no infringement is intended. As long as they don't find out, who gives a shit? The opinions expressed in Now Playing are those of the individual hosts, and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Well, that's a bore. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2013, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Say it, say it. Just say it. I won. I won. No! No! Say I won! I won! You know, I never thought we'd talk about Rachel Talele or Talale again. And I here here we get a chance to butcher her name all over again. I know, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> because you've allowed me to scratch this itch off my bucket list. There's a mixed metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> And when Water and Power raid her base and kill her boyfriend and all her friends and a little girl named Sue, Rebecca is taken captive, and due to her killing eight of the Water and Power soldiers, Kesley tries to recruit her to work for Water and Power, killing the Rippers that prevent Kesley from taking control of all the water under the desert. That's a huge sentence. I just want to interrupt you. <coughs> I thought the little girl was named Sam. Sam? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> That's a huge sentence to repeat. <laughs> What did Arnie say? You could just say Sam and just, like, cut it in there. <laughs> Let's be nice to the editor. <clears throat> in addition to being a sentence, I'm pretty sure that's a run-on. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, in editor mode, I'm, like, crossing things out and putting punctuation in and being like... <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> By Rachel Talale. Maybe. Talale. Talale. <laughs> I don't know how you say it. The lady that did Freddy 6. <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> and this is Jacob, and I like hot oil and vacuum attachments. I do too. How else do you get the dust bunnies out from under the bed if it wasn't for the long reach attachment? Yeah, well, different uses, but okay. They can be used for cleaning as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs>
I do think, though, you've backdoored Stuart now into a Conan the Barbarian, Red Sonia, and Men in Black retrospective, though, since you've now introduced the not started by DC, but published by them. Eh, Kick-Ass was kind of that, too. We do what we like. Come on. Don't, don't, you want me to quit? Is that what you're telling me? I'm here to do Tank Girl, all right? I'm here to do a movie that I never thought in my entire life I would ever need to see, but... Getting into that one. <laughs> I, I know them. They had a track on the Blade 2 soundtrack with Redman, I'm pretty sure. You're more sure than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so so you love the Blade 2 music? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I it's very funny I haven't picked that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> well, first, Arnie, I think you need to tell us what the plot is. And now I have. Magic editing! <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> I think this and Above the Rim are the two soundtracks I own for movies I hadn't seen. So someday I guess we have to do an Above the Rim retrospective. <laughs> <laughs> what would that even look like? Okay. I think it would be uh, basketball movies. Maybe the one where Kevin Bacon goes to Africa and recruits that guy. Space Jam. <laughs> and we're out. <laughs> no. All right. <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> These giant phallic worms that come up. We got to do Dune sometimes, guys. We're doing a Lynch retrospective at some point. I got a lot to say about Dune. A lot. <laughs> but I'll say a little bit about it here in Tank Girl. I do feel like... <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> I've been pretty harsh on this movie. <clears throat> Let me try again. <clears throat> Stupid pneumonia. <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> this seems like a perfect project for Lady Gaga, doesn't it? Uh, I knew you were going to go there, and that makes me cringe a little, thinking of Lady Gaga trying to pull this off. Tank girl, ooh la la, want your bad cannon. Did you have, did you guys conspire to get that joke? No, honestly, I, I just... You are a master of improv, Arnie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> I just, I, I feel like, I don't know, I just lost my train of thought is what I feel like. Fuck. What were we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> so until next time, I'll see you cats at the big jam in the sky. I was wondering what you're going to use for a tagline. So yeah. was I. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, did he remember to come up with one? I, yeah. I honestly was just about to be like, we'll talk to you next week with Constantine. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I would have been fine with that. Yeah, I would have never been able to. <laughs> I was just getting into that one. <laughs> it's a not recommend. And I got a bad feeling it's going to be one for three in this entire retrospective. Or the first of three for this entire retrospective. Yeah. I was like, you're going to recommend Jonah Hex? I dare you. I will lay any amount of money that you can't do that. You know I love westerns. <laughs> you do like people with burned faces like Freddy. <laughs> I Getting into that one. <laughs> Dated 90s riot girl type of atmosphere. I would be game. I would like my growl set off my dogs. <laughs> 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 I 
getting into that one. <laughs> Give me that.